There was uh, a part of that uh, song from Isaac Watts that just caught my eye. And uh, it says this. In him the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Say it again. In him, the tribes of Adam boast more blessings than their father lost. Ever thought about this? But uh, in terms of what has been lost in, in mankind through the through the trespass of Adam and the trespass of Eve in the Garden of Eden was tragic indeed. In fact, that has resonated down through the eons and through the ages. But the wonderful good news and I never thought of it this way until a few years ago, is that we actually get more as a result of the blessings of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross at Calvary than Adam and Eve ever dreamed of. And as we look at the opening verses of, of Revelation chapter, chapter 1, and I, I don't dare try to go through the entire thing, but it is uh, interesting to me that as we begin and just simply look at a few verses that I've chosen and picked out, Revelation is just a panorama of what God has done in his rightful place as the governor and as the king of kings and lord of lords to, re to establish once more his kingdom. This is not really about church or church history or, or things of the church or church truth, if you will. Church is important, and we'll see this in, in terms of if you ever go through and just read the book of Revelation. But this is about the reestablishment of the kingdom of God, which is far bigger than the church. I'm excited about presenting to you maybe something that I have chosen and I believe the Lord wants to convey in terms of his attributes or who he is personally, maybe in a way that you've never seen Jesus before. As we begin and look at the book of Revelation, I'd ask you to please uh, stay with me in the first chapter. I won't go through the first eight verses at all. I'll just highlight a couple of things I want you to notice. It's in the very first verse that it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. This whole book is about judgment and it's about the revealing or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ personally. And we'll see Jesus in a way probably that you're not used to going through the Gospels at all. In fact, as we look at the Gospels, it's back roads and through dusty trails of Galilee, donkey riding, opposition, etc., etc. You will not get any of that in the book of Revelation. As Steve and David have been cleared to go to Israel and they've had to wait, I want everyone to know here, right here, right now, that Jesus Christ is cleared to go to Israel. <laughs> And if you don't believe me, go to chapter 19. It will confirm it. But we won't go that far. We won't go that far. We'll go begin with the ninth verse. Also, one other thing. There's all kinds of, in the prologue from 1 through 8, and I'd encourage you to read it, about Jesus and the unveiling and who he is. And you actually see all triunity of the Godhead in there. And as you look at that, you'll see, begin to understand 
This is about the glorification of the Lord himself. It's also a promise of blessing in the third uh, verse in which God promises that if you listen and heed and hear this word, you will accrue, accrue something that is just very incredible and significant from him personally. What that is in and of itself, I will, I've got to keep it to myself. If you want to know, I'm sorry I can't tell you. But uh, no, I can't tell you. There's nothing to tell except that God promises simply blessing. If you, how many here would not want a blessing from God? No, that I, I, my grandkids better not raise their hands. <laughs> so in the ninth verse, it says this. He says, "I, John, I, John." He personally. This is the third time he mentions his name. I do not know why scholars get to the place of wondering who wrote this book. When somebody's mentioned the name three times in the first chapter, I, John, and it says this about this great man, this one who laid on Jesus' breast just prior to his crucifixion. He took care of Jesus' mother until she died. He pastored churches throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, probably in Ephesus. He's rumored to be the last apostle that is alive. He is renowned throughout the whole Christendom of the Roman world. And he says, I, John, just to make an identity here, I want you to know who's writing this book. And he doesn't say the great apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who was with him and the last one to survive. <clears throat> he just simply says, just simply says, your brother and your partner. The humility of that Brett and I have talked about the celebrity status of sometimes what is happening in Christendom and churches today of, of pastors, of, of, of being, it, being so high and lifted up that people are attracted to a fellowship simply because of the incredible giftedness or the ability of one man. That has never been the way that the Lord Jesus Christ has wanted to establish his church. He says, I, John, your brother and your partner, in three things, in three things, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in Jesus Christ, in the tribulation. Everybody in here, to some degree, has got some kind of trouble. The old uh, Negro spiritual, all God's children got trouble. I got trouble, you got trouble. And this tribulation is something that he is just simply letting them know, I'm a part of your life. I'm a part of the fellowship within this great, great endeavor called the kingdom of God. I'm not only in the tribulation, but I'm in it for the kingdom of God. Probably these are the charges against me. Domitian is the emperor at the time. He was the first emperor. The <coughs> first emperor to, to choke to death. <laughs> he was actually the first emperor to come against Christians in mass, in whole. Up until through, even through Nero, it was simply looked at as a Jewish sect. But now they've recognized there's something different about them. And Domitian actually came and pronounced all-out war and persecution of believers. So John is banished. And he says, in the, but I'm banished for the kingdom of God. And for the last thing is, is just so important, the testimony of Jesus. I thought about that. I thought about that. And as I began to study this, I thought, you know, he's not complaining. 
I, I guess in my mind, even though nobody has ever said, you know, I always thought, poor John, he's, 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 he's imprisoned on this rock that's 10 miles long and 6 miles wide mm-hmm. off the Aegean, in the Aegean Sea, just off the coast of, of Asia Minor, just below Ephesus. And he's in a penal colony, basically. And I, and I, I think I was feeling bad for him. And as I looked at him he, and, and, and looked at these words, this is just simply information. He wants his churches who know him well to know his location, why he's there, etc. Because the next verse in 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. When you're in trouble... When you're in difficulty, is it because that you're in difficulty and in trouble because of the testimony of Jesus? When I looked at that, I I thought about when I was studying and I read it, I said, oh my, I, Terry, your brother and partner, your brother and partner in trouble And I've gone through some things lately in the last few years that I had never expected in my 35 years of life. (laughs) 75, count, almost 75 years of life. Right now, I didn't expect to be in this kind of trouble. I did not expect that life toward the end of my life would turn out exactly like this. And I realized that as I looked at John, who was bigger trouble than I've ever been. 90s, 95 years old, a lot older than I am. Probably a lot frailer than I am. Is just making testimony, saying, you know, I'm just here and I'm in the spirit. Do you know what that means? He was in the process on that day, and I believe the Lord's Day means Sunday. I think... uh, as tradition has, even though up until this point, they never called it that biblically, over the next 200 years, that's what they called the Lord's Day. And that's why we call it the Lord's Day even today being Sunday. Because that was the day Jesus was resurrected. And as he's in the spirit, he's worshiping. He's not considering the next rock he has to bust or the next Roman that's going to whip him. Nothing like that. He said, that's just... I'm about the kingdom. Here I am. You know, the last thing you want to expect was a revelation from God in the midst of that. But here's, here's a man who had been sold out his entire life to one person and one person only. <clears throat> Some of us have made New Year's resolutions. I just want to suggest, encourage, exhort, how about a New Year's resolution to get closer to Jesus in 2022? No matter what's coming your way, and, and my, you know, I don't know, this whole thing, the last two years, it's been nuts. I've never seen anything like it in all the years I've been around. But at the same time, am I in the spirit through it, worshiping and praying and reading his word on the Lord's Day? You know when the Lord's Day is? You know one of the... The, one of the one uh, aspects of the Ten Commandments in the New, New Testament 
that is never mentioned in terms of obedience is the Sabbath. What do you think that is? I've come to the conclusion that in the Holy Spirit, every day with us is a Sabbath day. And we are to be resting in the power and might and love of this great gospel that we've been given and this great salvation that we have been handed. And, and, and every single day in the power of the Holy Spirit is a day of Sabbath for us. So as you look at John, <clears throat> and I belabored that a little bit longer than I thought I would, Jesus Christ is the central focus of this entire, entire revelation. And let me say, the word revelation is a Greek word, apocalyptic, and that simply means, you ever seen on television where an artist, a sculptorist, will, un will, will, will unveil a statue that he has uh, fashioned, and then they usually got a sheet uh, covering it, and with a rope, and then somebody pulls the rope, and it, it, and it reveals the statue. That's all revelation means. It's an unveiling of the person of Jesus Christ. And it's an unveiling like any other book in you know, the whole Bible. So as he's talking, and as he's relating and beginning these, uh, th these words to us, he hears a voice behind him. i got to put on my glasses for this. He says in verse... Uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, this is reminiscent of Exodus chapter 19 <clears throat> in which God brings about the law or soon to come soon to follow the Ten Commandments. And he comes at a whole nation of Israel in a loud voice. And so Jesus wants to make sure that he gets John's attention. That this is something unique. This is something is, is special. And I love the fact that probably the unexpected happened to John when he least expected it. I mean, I've done it from the standpoint of obedience all of my life, something that I had never expected. And here Jesus reveals himself at a time that I never would have figured. Don't you think that's the way God is? At the least time that you think that anything will happen, it will happen. It's amazing to me when I least wanted to be in a relationship, when I least wanted to be in dating or anything in my younger years, when I wanted to simply kick back and watch basketball, and, and what do they call that in March? Final four. The what? Final four. The final four. And when I wanted to sit back and kick back to the tournament, God came in and disrupted my entire life and introduced me to Robin. And as that blessing came into my life for the last 37 years, it has been incredible. And I want to encourage you to continue in the spirit on the Lord's day. You never know what he's up to or what he's going to do. You can't really figure him out. So as you look at this and you begin to fasten and see this scene, now he says, I was on the island of Patmos. I was on this big rock. And by the way, Pat, Pat, Patmos is still there. It's got houses on it. I read, uh, heard uh, Chuck Missler on one of his messages years ago that he was talking about John on this island. And a guy walks up to him and said, hey, he introduced himself. My name is so-and-so. By the way, I live on Patmos. Would you like to come and visit? And he said, sure. And sure enough, there were some houses and things have been developed on there. So it's still there. 
So he says, here's what I want you to do, John. I've got something for you. He said, I want you to write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, I won't get into these churches at all. I've wondered why these seven churches. I mean, there are a lot more prominent churches that there is. What about the church in Rome, Antioch, Philippi, which was founded and, and produced a huge missionary outflow. A lot of big churches and a lot of significant churches, Jerusalem. But instead he chooses these churches. You know what? He could choose Hill City. No. Yes. Yes. He can choose you, particularly, individually, as he chose John. At any moment, at any time. We've been given this great thing called the grace of God. And we continue to live in the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. And you never know what will be happening next. Something revelatory, I believe. And so as he gives these instructions, and he will give you instructions about what you're to do next. As you continue to walk by faith and not by sight. So as we continue on, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Going over to verse 16, um, he mentions, um, where's the seven stars in his right hand? Uh, let's see, verse, oh, in verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Now, I, I skipped there because I wanted to focus on these three things. This is the first appearance of what John actually saw. He saw seven golden lampstands. You know what the world is waiting for? It's waiting for light. It's desiring something that will bring it to its place of understanding. The lampstands were lit. What's interesting is lampstands, lamps are usually lit at night, aren't they? When you look at the, the, the aspect of this, of, of this word, <clears throat> here you have Jesus with stars in his hand. And lit lampstands. Does that mean this is a night scene? Possibly. But then also as you continue to read through there. You see that the, not only the lamp is lit. But the bright shiny countenance of his face is glowing. Brightly and huge. Here's what this means I believe. That as Jesus says I am the light of the world. He also said, you are the light of the world. And what is interesting about lampstands is it requires oil to keep it perpetually burning and glowing. Here's, the, here's what I think the, the Lord is conveying here is we, the church, and we see that the lampstands are identified in verse 20 as the church are the only light that's in the world of darkness. The whole world lies in darkness. 
And we are its only light radiating from the life of the Holy Spirit given to us at salvation to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's important that you see yourself as a light that the world desperately needs. Your identity, the purpose that you're here, is simply to be that radiant light through a dark world that desperately needs Jesus, desperately. That's why I exist, that's why you exist. It doesn't matter where you're, what your vocation is. Jesus is beginning this vision from, and, and John is writing it down to convey to us the importance of us as lampstands. Also, you'll notice that the, the lampstands are golden. You know, that a lot of the articles in the temple were golden, were gold. He's telling you and me, look how valuable you are. You're gold. That's the most valuable uh, piece of metal that we have on the planet. And he said, that value is important to me. And he says, there I am. In among the seven individual churches, this is not like a menorah, but this is simply Jesus walking in the midst of these lampstands, holding these stars, which verse 20 says are the messengers of these churches in his hand. So his face or countenance is like the sun shining in full strength. If uh, He says this, if you are all sons and daughters of light, or he says, you are all sons and daughters of light and of the day. We are not of the night, but we, we, we are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Do you know that? So what happens is if you participate in any fashion as as a light bearer, and by the way, we are just simply light bearers radiating his light. In any other fac faction of your own flesh or the things of this world, you are diminishing yourself and what you're designed to be. So don't. Look at his word. The church, us individuals, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, are light bearers. And as we're light bearers, here's the deal. Christ is the directing authority in that light bearing. There's something in, I believe, the Sermon on the Mount that just came to me. He said, if, you're, if your eye is darkness, how, how great is that darkness? Reminds me of that children's rhyme, little children, be careful of what you see. That sort of thing. So Jesus is saying, I want you to understand who you are as a light bearer. Here you are. And then he mentions his right hand that he, he, in which he holds the messengers. And, and, and this is the really the ministry of the true function of the church. It doesn't matter if it's apostolic. It doesn't matter if it's uh, prophetic sayings or evangelism or pastoral office. Here is Christ. He's saying, 
in my right hand, which in the Old Testament terminology is the place of strength, is where I'm holding my messengers. I'm giving them direction. And as, as I proclaim the truth and make known this truth to my messengers, I want you to know that their life will fill and transform, fill and, and dispel all the darkness. So the lampstands, the messengers, the countenance and the fullness of the light bearer of the, of the lightness of the Son of God. He says, no man can, can do anything in ministry as the function of the church unless he's held in the grip of the right hand. And he interprets not his own will or the things that he thinks we ought to be doing as a church, but gets his marching orders from the master only. Period. So the only real authority that can be a communicated is the authority of the Son of Man through this word to a church that is a light bearer to a world in darkness that desperately needs the light or the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Do I hear an amen? amen. Yeah, that's good. So, so as, as, as the only time that light was ever eclipsed, by the way, was at the cross. Just for a few few brief moments the darkness shrouded the light but the good news is for that three hours of darkness was the only dark time in God's eternal plan in which your sin and my sin was paid for at that moment on the cross when you hear those words screamed out that only the son of God could scream out my God my God why have you forsaken me his humanity was sorely, incredibly tortured at that moment for all eternity so that we would escape it completely. What's really hard is that somebody I know very well who refused to come to faith, even after being witnessed to often, over and over for the last 13 years even up to the moment of death did not receive Christ those are the things that just haunt me in terms of desire to promote the good news of Jesus Christ so it, it, we have Jesus in the midst as he's in the midst he's directly guiding he's showing his intimate knowledge of the details of each church We'll see that if we will go if we had time to go through chapters two and three, and and as we as we begin to understand, there's an aspect here of the value that we have in light of the character that is his character. You see, every messenger that has his that is secure and protected in his right hand has to have as an ongoing. Uh, well, I call it ongoing processing of becoming and desiring his character. As we look at his character and how incredibly magnanimous it is, we are just humbled to think that as we have been given this salvation, that he sees us already from his viewpoint with his character. We've been given the gift of righteousness. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given all these things. But from our viewpoint, 
These are things still to be developed and continue on. Let me encourage you, continue on. Continue on believing, continue on tr trusting, continue on becoming and knowing what that assignment is that it was given just for you. Um, he has the right to govern his people and to judge. As you look at now the robe, he's covered with a robe all the way down, a white robe all the way down to his feet. And he's also got a golden sash. And it's interesting, the golden sash is around his chest. And as that golden sash is around his chest, that means as we unfold the book of Revelation, it is a book of judgment. And it's a book of him getting his kingdom back on planet Earth once and for all, for all eternity. It's a broad panorama, as I said before. But with that golden sash around his chest, that means there is something about in this, his faithfulness and love in which he will judge will never be compromised either. He will only judge according to the, the compassion that he has for all human beings. Two places that a priest has in terms of a sash. One is around the waist, in which is usually a place of function. But this high priest has his around his chest, one of fidelity, a sign of love and care in the midst of judgment. I like that about this. It's golden, meaning that he has the judicial right. One, one job of the high priest in the temple was that he was to go in there and clean out all the, all, anything that was not in order. As he went in and looked around, any kind of debris or anything like that, he would clear it out. That was part of his job, making sure the lights were lit, etc. That's exactly this high priest's job in terms of the church and in terms of you and I. Clean out anything that's there that's not wanted. His desire is simply to be more and more like, his desire for us is to be more and more like him. He's relentless in this way. I remember times in the past, I remember saying, will you just leave me alone? And he said, no. Why? Because I love you too much to leave you where you're at. Okay. So on we go. And so as we look at this golden sash, we see that it's his faithfulness and his love. And by the way, this love is infinite. It doesn't end. He rewards and punishes as he wills but it's always based on his love and faithfulness. And he rules always in his unfailing compassion. And this is what I love about Jesus. He's uncompromising, but he rules and reigns always in his unfailing compassion without compromise. Now, quickly, we're going to go through what I would call uh, seven fields of glory Revealed, and, and and I don't know if you follow along with me. I'll go. I'll go real fast without reading it. But we're going to discuss his head and his hair, his eyes, his feet, his voice, and uh, again we'll go back over his right hand once more and his face. And as we begin, his head and hair from uh, verse fourteen, and it, this is reminiscent of Daniel chapter seven. And I believe verse 19. In Daniel 7, 19, there's a thing, there's a description of God the Father here. It's called the Ancient of Days. 
And what it denotes here is something that is very aged, but not old. Aged, but still eternal. Aged, but still pure. And so this attribute that is described by God, as God the Father in Daniel chapter 9, 7, is the same attribute that is described here in Revelation chapter 1 of Jesus. So here he is eternal. And it says that his hair and his head were white and, uh, white and white as wool. That speaks of his purity. So not only is he white in terms of purity, but he is ages in terms of eternality. He is forever. He always has been and he always will be. All eternal things are pure and only purity can be eternal. So when I tell people the gospel, I said the only way into heaven is for you to be holy, right, pure, righteous, 100% just like God is. And hopefully they say, well, who can make it then? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Nobody. Unless God does something to you as you receive his wonderful free gift of forgiveness. See, your entrance into heaven and the reason you need to be born again is so you can have his life to enable you to gain entrance into heaven because that's the only way as a free gift to you that you're able to go in. So all of us who've, who have ever believed in Christ get this wonderful gift of this great salvation in which Jesus has made us into himself. And this life called sanctification is the process of becoming just like that. I've probably been at this point stage in my life more excited about that than probably any other aspect. So eternal, his head and his hair, white, pure. And like the ancient of days, he's aged. And uh, we see this again in, in, in the 19th chapter, that the eternal pure head is crowned then with all authority as he comes back for the final, put down the final rebellion in the, in, in the battle of, of Armageddon. Eyes like fire. Eyes like the flame of fire. You know what this is? Infinite and infallible knowledge. Eyes that pierce, penetrate. What that means is there's no secret, no secret place in any of our lives that are hidden from him or even could possibly be hidden. These eyes are as a flame. They see through and detect everything that is hidden from ordinary sight. You see, there's no detail in a church, no detail in an individual life that he is not perfectly acquainted with in its entirety. That's who our God is. These steady, searching eyes, they're ever upon us at every moment of every day. There was a, a son who uh, asked his dad, he said, Dad, does God see me all the time? And the father said, Son, God loves you so much that he can't take his gaze off you. These are the eyes of the flame of fire. 
His feet burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. This is the metal of brass. It's the metal of the liver in front of the temple, the metal of judgment. The fire is purification. Here he is, he's moving among his churches, he's moving among individuals with absolute purity, absolute purity, as he walks, and then as he walks in the midst of the churches, he tramples everything that is impure with tremendous strength because brass is a formidable metal. He, 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 he's there in the midst trampling everything that's not pleasing to him. His voice, many waters. You ever been in a waterfall? It cascades down. I've been in a big one once. I went behind it. Never had this experience before. But I've, I've wondered, his voice like many waters. And as this waterfall comes pouring down, you can't hear anything. It's just this big noise of the, of the, of the water hitting and pounding into the depths. It's not frightening. It's loud, it's noisy, but at the same time, it's soothing. This voice speaks of everything that is possibly known or even could be known. This voice knows every tributary that begins in the top of the mountain and streams down to the place to where that many waters of waterfall, each individual drop that hits that water, is, is nothing more than just this incredible symphony of noise that is soothing and pleasant to him who knows all. He knows everything about art. He can speak anything about music. He can speak anything about literature. He can speak anything about every nuance of human life whatsoever. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says that in, in the past he spoke through through a variety of prophets, through a variety of fathers. But in these last days, he took all those words that were cascading down through the centuries and through eons and through the noise and literature of every human being in these last days, which we're in now. Listen to the Son. He speaks to us in Son. It's almost like a brand new language. There it is. He speaks to us in Son. Listen to his voice of many waters. And remember, all of life, he knows everything there is to know about everything about all of life. You can trust this Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right hand is the stars. This is the right hand of authority. What I love about this is these are messengers. I don't believe they're angels. I don't think God would pronounce and give a message to the churches of these seven through uh, celestial beings. I believe he will use men and women as he does today. And as, as they are held in his right hand, it's the, it's the Old Testament uh, picture of authority. What I know about this right hand is that in that hand of Jesus, there's perfect rest, perfect power, perfect protection. In the age of COVID, we need to hear all three. It's a blessed place. It's a blessed place. Listen to Jesus' words in the Gospel of John. All that the Father has given, no one will pluck them from my hand. Blessed rest for all 
of the master's messengers. Blessed rest. Out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. His uh, pronouncement is going to be one of all men and all women. He said this. He said, by his words, men and women would be judged. His verdict will soon be on the churches that are then explained in chapter 2 and chapter 3, which he continues to move. But it mentions that this mouth of his is like a double-edged sword. It's really a double-action sword. It condemns the fault, but also approves the excellence. It's a different sword than Hebrews 4.12's double-edged sword, because that sword uh, reveals uh, imperfection, it reveals sin, it reveals the things of the flesh. This one is more of a thrusting sword that brings judgment. We'll see the sword again when you read Revelation chapter 19, because out of his mouth comes a sword as he rides in with the church to put down the, the, the rebellion that is Armageddon, which is no battle at all. It just basically says they're just all dead. You don't get the sense of a battle in Revelation 19. But then the face, the sum total of all the features, I believe, the pure splendor of the forehead, crowned by the purity of the white hair, the flashing glory of those flaming eyes, the incredible things that that, that mouth speaks, from which comes sound, a sword-like speech from the that, that can only be from him, the sound of many waters. If it's all combined, what we have here is the sun of light and glory shining in all celestial, divine, incredible, omnipotent, omniscient strength. This is Jesus. You see, as you, I would encourage you, take these six verses, look at this vision. No back road Galilean donkey riding itinerant preaching here. This is God in all his glory. This is the one who is on the island of Patmos, but is here right now. Right now. So as he addresses the churches, you find yourself at a loss of love as Ephesus did find it waning, or you find yourself overwhelmed, as Smyrna is, was in terms of persecution and trouble, you find yourself compromising a little bit or a lot, as Pergamon and Thyatira were sexually and idolatrism. If you find yourself without power or the Holy Spirit, as Sardis was, somewhat dead inside, you find yourself with very little strength and finding yourself weak as Philadelphia had been feeling. Or you find yourself caught up in this United States of America in materialism and feeling that you've got it all together and you really don't, like a little house that the Sian church had. Then consider this vision. 
this picture and look at it again and again and again until this vision holds you in its power. This is, a, this is, this is the same vision that we have today that was on the Isle of Patmos with I put your name in there your brother and partner I'm captured even though there's trouble I'm captured because I'm all about the kingdom of God I'm captured because everything no matter what comes my way I want it to be a testimony about Jesus and I'm going to worship because I'm going to be in the spirit on the Lord's day. Make that your New Year's resolution. Make that your goal this year. Get close to this wonderful Savior that has given us everything that we need that pertains to life. The promises in Ephesians 1.3. We've got it all, my brothers and sisters, every aspect of it. Consider Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. My son hardly ever, ever, well, let me put it another way. He, he always made contact with the baseball, hardly ever struck out. And every time he'd come to the plate, I looked and I, I caught him every time. He'd take his left hand, which was the left hand where his batting glove was, and he'd look. And then he'd get, put it down and get into the box and make contact. It wasn't always a clean hit, it was, but it was contact. And he never gave up. And then one day I, I, I picked up the batting glove when he wasn't looking. And it was a verse from Philippians. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So can you. Father, thank you for this word. And I would pray it be an excitation that as the lampstand of Hill City Church is walked among, encouraged, disciplined and continues with the apostolic evangelistic prophetic pastoral assignment that it's been given that you would encourage every brother and sister to realize that in the midst of this time they would be anticipating to hear from you personally for them. Make it so. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.